0: distinct privilege of being the lead pastor of this community called Journey Church and on behalf of our whole staff and the hundreds and hundreds of volunteers who serve around the life of our community, we are absolutely thrilled to be together with you today to celebrate the fact that Jesus did not stay dead. That's why we're here. And uh, it was quite a day for an Easter egg hunt yesterday, huh? How about that? It's like the Lord chooses to give us a good weather day for that thing every other year. Last year was simply a spectacular day, and yesterday was whatever the opposite of spectacular is. Uh, I have pictures. Let me show you a picture of last year. This was our Easter egg hunt last year. That's Jared. That's not the Easter egg hunt last year. This, uh, yeah, mm mm-hmm, that was last year, uh, and this was yesterday, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Let's go back to last year. Mm hmm. And this year. Mm hmm. That is dramatic, isn't it? Those of you who served at the Easter egg hunt this weekend, way to go and keep that up. That is exactly what we are about as a church community, loving and blessing and serving and giving it away to the community. Crowd estimates have it at somewhere between two and 3,000 folks, which is a fantastic turnout, we think, based on uh, a morning like it was. And we now know that there are a few thousand hardcore Easter egg hunters in the valley. We know that. A man was very blissfully driving down the highway one day, probably texting as he was driving at a no-no, when out of the corner of his eye, he saw the Easter Bunny hop across the road directly in front of his car. He slammed on the brakes and swerved to avoid hitting the Easter Bunny, but unfortunately uh, it was much too late. The man hit the Easter Bunny, Uh, the basket and the eggs and the candy went flying all over the roadway, all over the median It's everywhere. And this driver, this guy, he's a very sensitive and caring man. He's an animal lover to his core. He pulls over to the side of the road to see what had happened to the Easter Bunny, gets out of his car, and much to his dismay, of course, the Easter Bunny is laying there dead. This man felt horrible. He began to weep and cry. And he was just beside himself. A woman who was driving down the same highway sees this guy kneeling by the side of the road, crying uh, alongside the road. And so she stopped her car. She gets out to see what the difficulty was. He said, ma'am, I I feel terrible. The Easter Bunny ran out onto the road in front of me and I couldn't stop, I couldn't swerve, and I hit and killed the Easter Bunny. He said, think of all the children worldwide who won't be getting an Easter basket because of what I have done. What in the world shall I do, he said. Woman said, don't, don't, don't worry, settle down. I know exactly what to do. She returns to her car, pops the trunk, pulls out a spray can. She walks over to the dead, limp bunny and sprays the entire contents of that can on the little dead, furry animal. Within seconds, almost miraculously, the Easter Bunny came back to life, jumped up, picked up all of the spilled eggs and candy, waved its paw at the man and woman and hopped down the road. About 50 yards away, the Easter Bunny stopped, turned around, waved, and hopped down the road. Another 50 yards or so, stopped turned around waved hopped another 50 yards down the road stopped turned around and waved and the guy he is absolutely astonished he said what in the world ma'am was in that spray can the woman turned the can around so that the man could read the label it said hair spray <laughs> restores life to dead hair <laughs> adds permanent wave <laughs> you got a Bible, turn to John chapter 20, if you would, please. John chapter 20, verse 11. Let's set the stage for the real reason we're here, which is not my humor. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head, the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them, his message. And that's why we're here today. We're gathered here to celebrate the reality that the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, who was killed on Friday, crucified for the sin of all of humanity. That's your sin. That's my sin. And he rose from the grave on Sunday and he's alive today. And he moved that stone out of the doorway of that tomb a couple of thousand years ago, didn't he? On that first Easter morning, he moved that stone out of the way, and he wants you to know today that he's still in the business of moving the stones that are present in your life. He's still in the business of extending hope in the midst of the trials that you are facing right here, right now. And for a whole bunch of people, Easter means a lot of different things, and so what I'd like to do in the time we have together today is share some of what I feel are the most profound meanings of Easter for us. The first one is this. It's the fact that the empty tomb, the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, it provides us with hope in an almost hopeless world, doesn't it? The empty tomb of Jesus Christ, the fact that he lives, that he didn't stay dead, provides us with hope in an almost hopeless world. I read a story about a family who lived in Mexico City. The father and his teenage son, his name was Paco, they had a heated argument one day, and you know the kind. The son shouted curses at his dad, Turned, stormed out the door, slamming the door behind him, and just didn't come back. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and still Paco had not come home. And Paco's dad, as you would imagine, was utterly beside himself. He spent all day, every day, searching the entire city for his son to no avail. Finally, out of an act of sheer desperation, he went to the offices of the city's largest newspaper and he took out an ad. And the ad read, Paco, if you read this, I want you to know that all is forgiven. I love you and I'll be waiting for you this coming Sunday at the entrance to the city park. I hope you show up. Love, dad. To that father's amazement, that Sunday morning, somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 Pacos showed up at the entrance to that park. Every last one of them looking for forgiveness and reconciliation, wanting to make things right. And that's exactly what we would expect, isn't it? There are so many people walking planet Earth searching for forgiveness, for hope, for meaning, for life. And the good, or shall I say the great news of Easter, is that the empty tomb of Jesus Christ provides all of the hope you could ever use in this almost hopeless world. Matthew chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. Follow along with me if you would. He, speaking about Jesus Christ, will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. Those are the words of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42, verses one through four, which the gospel writer Matthew repeats copies into his gospel, the weakest read. Picture that, a flickering candle. Get that image in your head. Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of us sitting right here today would and could define your life by those two descriptions, the weakest read, a flickering candle, It's true, isn't it, that the trials of this life can just make us weak, can't they? Like a reed that's about to break in two. Maybe you've been made into a weak reed by someone's harsh, stern words or by a friend's anger or by a spouse's betrayal or by your own perception of your failure or fill in the blank, your blank. Or maybe you today, you feel like a flickering candle. Sure. Absolutely there was a time in your life when your passion for God and for his kingdom and for the life that he's put inside of you was burning white hot but the winds of the trials of this life have blown hard and well now you just feel like you're about one breath away from that flame going out altogether hope teetering on the brink of extinction really and how many weak reeds and flickering candles are there all, are there all throughout the pages of God's sacred book the bible you know the stories Think about the woman who had been caught in sin, and there she stood before an angry crowd who wanted to punish her for her sins by throwing fist-sized rocks at her. Think about the leper, the outcast who was shunned from society, the blind man left alongside the road, a paralytic lying on a stretcher, woman who had been sick and bleeding for years and years, the weakest reed, a flickering candle. And it feels to us very often like the world specializes in breaking those reeds right in half and snuffing out those flickering candles, doesn't it? That's just life. But listen again to the words of Jesus, about Jesus, that were actually written about 800 years before Jesus ever put skin on and came down here. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 20, he, Jesus Christ, will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious, and his name will be the hope of all the world. The great message of Easter is that there is not a single trial in your life that comes close to comparing with what Jesus overcame by conquering death, hell, and the grave. And if Jesus Christ was powerful enough to conquer death, hell, and the grave, then don't you suppose that he is powerful enough to overcome whatever trial it is that you're facing, no matter how big, steep, high, arduous it seems. The fact that Jesus didn't stay dead, but that he rose from the grave is an incredibly hope-infusing reality, isn't it? That truth gives us hope in the face of injustice because we know that one day he's going to cause justice to win the day. It might not feel like it right now, but at that final accounting, at the final reconciling of the ledger, his justice, perfect justice, is going to prevail. And how many of us will say, finally, on that day, the truth that Jesus didn't stay dead, but that he lives, enables us to slide all our chips across the table and be all in, all our stock in with him. Believing that he's the hope of the world means that we don't have to hedge our bets because we fear that he's not going to perform at some level the empty tomb of Jesus Christ gives us strength gives us courage the kind that we need to face every trial every situation that we face in this life I bumped into the story of a guy that he told about the civil war in which a union soldier who was shot in the arm during a particularly intense battle his captain saw that this young private had been wounded he barked out the following orders give me your gun soldier get to the rear The injured soldier very obediently handed his rifle off and set off running toward the rear of the battle seeking safety, maybe even a little medical attention, but it only took him about two or three hundred yards of sprinting to stumble upon another battle raging just as intensely as the battle he had just come from. Knowing that he was absolutely in no condition to be in the heat of any fight, he didn't even have a rifle for crying out loud, he then turned to the left and went sprinting off to the left in search of of safety what to his amazement two or three hundred yards later he found himself once again in a most intense quadrant of the same battle he set out then to the right in search of safety only encountered more and more fighting there however not knowing what in the world else to do that very brave soldier returned to the front lines the place where he had been injured hurt where he had come from and he shouted out to his captain give me back my rifle sir there ain't no rear to this battle anywhere And you all know it so well that when it comes to the trials and troubles of daily life, there ain't no rear to this battle anywhere, is there? That's the precise reason why Jesus rising from the dead is such great news. It validates every promise Jesus ever made. It sheds hope and life and light and encouragement on our lives when everything else looks utterly and completely and totally bleak. The empty tomb the reality that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead, it provides us hope in an almost hopeless world. And the evidence for Jesus Christ's resurrection invites all of us to a decision, really. Look at Matthew 28, verse 6. This is the word of the angel. He isn't here, speaking of Jesus, in the tomb. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. That's the words of the angels upon the two Mary's arrival at the tomb where Jesus had been buried. And Matthew's account tells us that the very first thing the angel does is invite them inside. Come see where his body was lying. Check it out. Look for yourself. Investigate this. And that invitation to review the evidence of Jesus' resurrection stands for all of us to this day. And you know the evidence. The tomb was empty, wasn't it? The grave cloths were undisturbed. The one-ton stone, that's a 2,000-pound rock that had sealed the entry to that tomb. It was rolled away. 515-plus eyewitnesses saw Jesus after he came back from the dead. I ran across a fascinating tidbit of data this week. Let's just say that we could somehow miraculously resurrect all of those 515-plus eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead. And let's say that we could file him into this room and ask them each one, fi- all 515 of them plus, to give testimony for 15 minutes each about what they had seen. How did you see Jesus? Just tell us about that. Tell us about the conversation you had. Where was he? What was he doing? Just bring them up on the stage, one right after another, asking them to share for 15 minutes each. Did you know that in order for us to hear the testimony of all 515 plus people who saw Jesus after he had been raised from the dead, we would be sitting in this room for 128 straight hours? It has us wrapping up sometime late this week. 128 straight hours of testimony from people who saw Jesus that first Easter Sunday. The evidence overwhelmingly points to the fact that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. He lives. The tomb is empty. The soldiers charged with guarding the tomb, they didn't even have a story to tell about what went down. One of the greatest Christ followers who ever lived, however, does have a story to tell. His name is Paul, and you might know him as the Apostle Paul or perhaps even Saint Paul. And he tells just a bit of his story on the pages of the sacred text, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Check this verse out. For I know the one in whom I trust. This is Paul writing about Jesus Christ and his personal relationship with him. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. And I find it highly interesting but Paul did not say, I know what I have believed. He doesn't do it. Instead, Paul says, I know the one in whom I trust, Jesus Christ. And I want you all to know that I'm with Paul. I say the exact same thing as the apostle Paul said. I know the one, Jesus Christ, in whom I trust trust, the savior of the world, the one who was dead on Good Friday and the one who lives today and is alive and well, making a very real difference in my life and in my future. And how many other tens of millions of people is that exact same thing going on in? How many other tens of millions of people down through the centuries have taken that angel up on his invitation to investigate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and while they were on that journey of investigation, they had a very real spiritual encounter with him, chose to believe that he is real, that he is who he said he was, that he's the only belief worth giving your life to and began to follow him and have had their lives utterly transformed from top to bottom by him, how many tens of millions, countless tens of millions have made that exact same journey? Come see, come investigate, come check it out, said the angel on that first Easter morning. And when we do, the evidence for Jesus rising invites and calls us to a decision because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, frankly, the greatest surprise this world has ever known. It is the greatest surprise this world has ever known. Heard the story of a little boy, he's four years old, and one weekend his dad sent him on down to his Sunday school class at church with his offering money in hand. After class, the dad went down, picked him up, and noticed that his son still had the two quarters he had given him clenched very tightly in his fist. As they walked to the car, the little boy's dad said, son, why didn't you give your offering to Jesus down in your class? And little boy, four years old, he looked at his dad with all the seriousness a four-year-old can muster and said, dad, Jesus hardly ever shows up down there. And that's about what most people who were around around on that first Easter expected from Jesus, isn't it? They didn't expect him to show up alive on that Sunday morning, but he did. He was. And you talk about a surprise. Everyone around was surprised at how things turned out. The soldiers charged with guarding his tomb, they were stunned, actually. So were the Pharisees. They were the religious fuddy-duddies of Jesus' day. They were so surprised that they were scheming a plan to try to explain away what had happened. Even Jesus' closest friends and followers, they were shocked at this turn of events, that when Sunday morning rolled around, that stone had been rolled away and that Jesus Christ had been raised victorious over death, over hell, and over the grave. They themselves knew they got that Jesus rising was the greatest surprise this world has ever known. There's a classic Good Friday family circus cartoon Little Billy and his brothers, they're walking through the store looking up at the shelves longingly all of the Easter eggs and all of the Easter candy and Billy looks at his brother and says, this may be Good Friday but Sunday's gonna be even gooder, he said. Little Billy's English isn't textbook, is it? But his statement is quite profound. On that first Easter morning, as Jesus' disciples and his friends set out to visit Jesus' tomb, they had no idea just how much gooder that day was going to be, but it sure was. And that's kind of how it goes in this life, isn't it? We cannot always see just how things are going to turn out. You're probably cooking on some things right now. You have no idea how they're going to turn out. That's exactly what Jesus' friends and disciples felt on Friday and Saturday of the first Easter weekend. But a day can make all the difference in the world, can it? And I know that right now there's a whole bunch of us sitting right here who are living just like Jesus' disciples and his friends were on Friday and Saturday of that first Easter weekend, right? I know that a whole bunch of us sitting right here are living Friday and Saturday of the first Easter weekend kind of lives. You might even assign that name to it. There's trials coming at you. You're getting hit on all sides. Battered life is pouring in on you. There's confusion and frustration and discouragement. There's sort of the hallmarks of your existence right now. And perhaps your faith is weak. Maybe your faith is even non-existent. The future seems cloudy. The outcome seems very uncertain. And if you're there, if you're in the midst of living and feeling like just what Jesus' disciples and his friends were feeling on Friday and Saturday of the first Easter weekend, God's encouragement, God's word to you today is don't lose hope. Do not lose hope. Because a day can make all the difference in the world. Don't lose faith. Because a day can make all the difference in the world. And what Jesus did by rising from the dead on the third day, on Sunday, on the first Easter, he opened up the way so that everything can change for us, all of us, because he won the victory. The resurrection means hope for all of humanity. That is us. The resurrection means that we're not confined to fear and confusion and frustration and discouragement that are for so many of us the hallmarks of our existence right now. The resurrection means that our destiny, our eternal destiny, can be dramatically, dramatically altered. There was a Sunday school teacher who had just finished telling her third graders about how Jesus had been crucified for our sin, placed in a tomb, this giant rock sealing the opening, and then wanting to elicit and share in the excitement of the resurrection, she asked, and what do you think that Jesus' first words were when he came bursting out of that tomb alive? There was a single hand that came shooting up from the back of the classroom and attached to that arm was a little third grade girl and she was very excited. She was almost leaping out of her chair shouting, I know, I know. Great, said the teacher. Tell us, what were Jesus' first words when he came bursting out of the tomb on that Easter morning? And she extended her arms high, high into the air and she said, ta-da, You see, Jesus Christ resurrected is the central event of our faith in him, isn't it? Honestly, the resurrection is the ta-da of Christianity. Because of Easter, because of what Jesus did by dying on Friday, raising from the dead on Sunday, we know that God in Jesus Christ is more powerful than anything, including death. The resurrection, it's not just some little thing we believe in as Christians. Instead, it is the very core belief of our faith. Everything hinges on the resurrection. And sometimes we don't realize that until life smacks us in the face. I read about a man whose way, way, way too young daughter died tragically and suddenly. As you can imagine, it was no small thing for that family. It was absolutely devastating, earth shattering. But because of her death, the Easter deal took on a whole new importance for that family. The father shared this, until you stare death eyeball to eyeball, Easter is just a word. A nice day with bunny rabbits and eggs and such. But when someone so precious to you dies, Easter becomes everything, he said. An anchor in a fierce storm, a rock on which to stand A hope that raises you above despair and keeps you going. Everything, folks, hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in our deepest, darkest moments, when we do not think that it can ever get any better, it is the resurrection of our Savior that gives us the hope to know that it can. Because you see, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, He's the first and the last, He's the beginning and He's the end. He's the keeper of the creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, always is, always will be unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never will be. He was bruised and he brought healing. He was persecuted but brought freedom. He was dead but he brings life He is risen, and he brings power, and he reigns today to bring peace. This world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools, they can't explain him, and leaders, they can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him, and the people, they couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And Oprah cannot explain him away. He is light. He is love. He is longevity. He is Lord. He is goodness. He is kindness. He is gentleness. And he is healing. He is God. Holiness. Righteousness. Powerful. Pure His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. And get this, folks. His mind is on you. And his mind is on me. His mind is on you. And his mind is on me. And that is why he came to earth, put on skin, lived, died, and was raised the dead because his mind is on you and his mind is on me.